0: let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we open your word, please help us open our hearts and speak to our hearts. In your precious name, Amen. One of the difficulties of living in Australia as a migrant is a lack of geographical knowledge of new homeland in addition my sense of orientation is still set to the northern hemisphere as a result the direction I often think of as north is actually not north but south it has happened many times for example I was driving back to Sydney from Melbourne in December 2011. It had been my first visit, and there was additional anxiety and stress as I prepared for the trip. I checked my route and printed the map, but the problem was that once I missed one turning, all my previous planning could not help me. And as you would expect, I got lost a couple more times on my way back to the Hume Highway. I thought I was heading north, but I wasn't. I was just going further down south. It took me more than two hours to hit the Hume Highway after leaving the Presbyterian Theological College in Victoria. The drive would normally take about 40 minutes. When I finally took the ramp toward the highway, I gave a big breath of relief. Phew! Now I had knew which way to go and how to take my family safely home. Fortunately, these days, I don't have to worry about such things so much. Because of GPS. Whenever I get off course, my GPS, help, GPS helps me revert to the correct route to my destination. Return, make a right turn, or repent, the GPS says. It guides me so I'm heading in the right direction. It helps me to focus on my destination. Returning to the right route is all about changing the direction of our lives, which means repentance. It's about how we live our relationship with God in ways that bring righteousness and redemption to the world. The voice of Amos is like GPS guidance. It helps Israel to be a lot to what is the right direction and how to make a shift in direction from self to God, to God-centeredness, not self-centeredness. Self-centeredness dominates our current culture, which is all about a me-first worldview. If we are honest most of us would have to agree that we are more self-centered than we want to admit. But being self-focused is a slow path to destruction. That's what Amos talks about in today's passage. He confronts Israel with the two aspects of her self-centeredness. First, in her relationship with others, especially the poor. Second, in her relationship with God. In the first instance, Amos describes a picture of extortion, exploitation, and manipulation of the poor and needy among the upper classes of northern Israel. They enjoy a good life with the resources to get what they want, to buy what they want, to be what they want. They are focused on their needs, desires, and perceived rights. They are at ease in Zion, verse 6-1, enjoying their ivory baths, sumptuous meals, elegant music, and refined wine. But let's hear how Amos depicts them in verse 1. Here, this world, you cows of Bathon on Mount Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy, and say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. Have a look at the map on the screen. Bathon, here, a fertile Plain in Transjordan was famous for its plush pastures and robust cows. But here, it represents the pampered leaders of Samaria whose main purpose of life is to tend to their own self-indulgence irrespective of the cost to others. Again, at 511, They are consumed with self-centeredness, no matter whom it hurts in the process. Their self-centeredness is revealed in a form of injustice. There is injustice in Samaria because the leaders of the community are willing to disadvantage the poor so that they can get some kind of advantage for themselves. And God hates in fact, it would be fair to say he absolutely despises that kind of injustice. Secondly, Amos points out that the people of Israel are captured in self-serving, self-serving worship. Have a look at verses five and four and five. Go to Bethel and sin. Go to Gilgal and sin yet more. There is a sarcastic remark here. Have you noticed that? The people are invited to come to their favorite cultic centers in order to sin. They are busily involved in religious activities as they throng to their worship places. Have a look at the map again. Bethel is here. 10 miles north of Jerusalem. It was founded by Jeroboam first and became one of the chief sanctuaries of the northern kingdom. Gilgal here, it was the first encampment of the Israelites west of the Jordan in Canyon and is also well known as a sacred site from the time of the conquest of Canyon up to the time of the prophet Amos. The people practice, practice gladly, gl- gladly in worship, attending the appointed feast for Israel and offering the required sacrifices. But all of this means nothing to God. Why are the people so involved in these acts of worship? Why are they, why are they going beyond what the law requires it is so they can boast to others about how how pious they are how righteous they are it is so they can feel satisfied in their own opinions about what they do amos challenges that their worship has become superficial and self-exhorting he highlights their hidden purpose, for this is what you love to do. They have a heart problem. That's where it's all headed. The priests or the priests or religious leaders demanded that the ordinances of the various laws, which were difficult for the common people to observe, were enacted and kept. the. the These rich and powerful upper-class people want to boast that they are superior to the common people. Therefore, the law of Israel has become increasingly a means for them to gain recognition in the eyes of others and has become a formality with no connection to a sincere and true love of God. Moreover, even as the religious leaders who have enacted this law pretend to observe the law on the surface, they also actually commit various sins. If that's the case, then those whom Amos is addressing may impress others and themselves, but they fail to impress God. Their main desire was not to be righteous in God's sight, but to avoid criticism by people. As a result, they received praise from the people, but were unable to avoid God's judgment. Today, among Christians, there are people who perform acts of service and worship without thought of God, but only so they might appear good to others or satisfy themselves. This is wrong Attitude. If we feel we have slipped into such ways, we should look to the spiritual GPS to keep correcting our route. The spiritual GPS keeps correcting our route. Uh-oh, it's the wrong way. Return. It is God's judgment that destroys the souls of men, not the opinions of other people. Therefore, we must always be conscious that we, we are always in view of God's eyes. Notice, there is one more thing to consider. The Israelites go through their religious rituals, never missing a tithe or a sacrifice, but they are not offering up sin offerings. They lack any sense of guilt for their sin. They may have deceived themselves into believing they are blameless before God. The absence of repentance in their worship is a significant heart problem. To cure these problems of the heart, the self-centeredness, Amos calls them to return to God. Come back to God even now. It's not too right, late, he says. But what was the response of the Israelites? There is none. It is as if the spiritual GPS guided them in the right direction, but they had a poor reception and missed hearing its advice. God punished them with seven different signs, but they refused to return to God. Their response was the same It is repeated five times, yet you have not returned to me, yet you have not returned to me, verses 6, 8, 9, 10, and 11. As we see, by a nationwide famine, a calamitous drought, agricultural blights, locusts, a plague, and a military defeat, the power of God is dis- displayed in his punishments. But there is another characteristic of God on display. We see the loving heart of God as he calls his people back to himself over and over. God wants them to look to him. His covenantal causes are caused to Israel to repent in accordance with the prayer of King Solomon. When he became the king, have a look at the screen. I know it's a bit a long quote, but it's worth reading together to understand that this punishment is another side of God's faithfulness to His people. When famine or plague comes to the land, or blight or mildew, locusts or grist-grass grasshoppers, or when An enemy besieges them in any of their cities, whatever disaster or disease may come. And when a prayer or plea is made by any of your people, Israel, each one aware of the application of his own heart and spreading out his hands toward this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Forgive and Act. Deal with each man according to all he does, since you know his heart, for you alone know the hearts of all men, so that they will fear you all the time they live in the land you gave our fathers. Friends, there's one thing with which I want to encourage you. Don't think that God must be punishing you every time things go bad. It's unhelpful and not biblical. I know sometimes unexpected things happen and they can be hard to understand. But remember, Jesus' sacrifice for sin was once for all believers for all time. God saves us by taking into himself the awful cost and punishment for our sin. Hardship is not God's punishment for our sins or our weak faith. Instead, trust that God is using our hardship for his purposes. You see, the sad thing is that Israel has neither learned nor returned, despite of the covenant courses. As a result of that, now they need to prepare to meet the Lord himself in verse 12. God himself is going to bring an end to unrepentance and injustice. Judgment day is near at hand. Amos already warns this at the beginning of chapter 4. Have a look at chapter 4, verse 2. The time will surely come when you will be taken away with hooks, the last of you with fish hooks. See what God's going to do. He's talking to Samaria. This prophecy was fulfilled 40 years later, just 40 years later, when Assyria destroyed Samaria. Have a look at 2 Chronicles 33, verse 11. So the Lord brought against them the army commanders of the king of Assyria, who took Munasi prisoner put a hook in his nose, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. In the case, what can Amos do? Only lamentation is left to him. He mourns that the destruction of Samaria and the loss of life that occurred with its fall. Have a look at verses five. One two three. This is not the end of the story. Amos shows a dramatic contrast to the lamentation. In the destruction of Israel, God will show His mercy. God is God still shows His mercy on those who seek Him. Come with me to five four two six. Seek Me. And live. Seek the Lord and live. Here is the key thing. The Lord tells Israel to seek Him and not empty religion. Do not seek sacred places. Seek me. And that's the whole point. Through Amos, God is saying at five 14 to 15. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Hate evil, love God, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. The meaning becomes clear here. To the remnant of Joseph, God commands three things. Sometimes we can be too delicate saying that God suggests ideas for our consideration as if he were a shopkeeper eager to please a customer. But this is a fundamental statement, isn't it? God hates evil, loves goodness, and wants justice to be an integral part of every society. He wants Each of his people to say, I hate what God hates and love what God loves. Amos says that the Lord God Almighty will be with the Israelites and that if the nation of Israel is destroyed, his people will have the mercy of God. We can see his kindness to a rebellious people deserving of judgment. Friends, this is not only for the remnant of Joseph, but also for us. That's how we became a part of God's new family through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Jesus took our punishment. God's punishment for our sin was spent completely on Jesus once for all. Jesus is the best place to continue the lifelong journey of returning to God. If you are not a Christian, how do you respond to the Lord's invitation to seek him and live? God's invitation to return to him will be answered by your looking to the cross of Jesus and asking forgiveness through his sacrifice for you. When you respond in Jesus, you will live. If you are a Christian, how's your spiritual GPS signal? Do you have a good reception? As you know, repentance means continually adjusting the direction of our lives. It is not a one-time act. It is ongoing call to return and stay focused on God. It is to receive an invitation to return to God, whether it be in joy or in sorrow. This is a vital part of living as a growing follower of Jesus. How's your relationship with God now? Do you love and keep returning to him as your Lord and Savior? Or are you distracted without a clear focus on God? As we wrap up, let me encourage you to ask yourself two practical questions. First, how do you check your heart when you come to church? What is your motivation for what you do in church? Is it a feeling of obligation or joy and thankfulness? Are your actions designed to be self-pleasing or God-pleasing? Keep searching your heart. Let it guide the way you act and respond. Let your desire to please God be evident in your patience and kindness. Let it lead you toward forgiveness, truthfulness, and endurance. In everything you think about today and everything you say and do today, let your love of God be your motivation. Second, will you display a double standard after church today? How do you behave in your home? Do you happen to take for granted that you deserve to rest because you served in many ways at church? I don't want to cook because I don't want to do washing up because this is a double standard. Serving God shouldn't be an excuse for your self-centeredness. Friends, We need a GPS for our spiritual journey with our Heavenly Father. We need God's word, not just so we can be part of changing this world, but also to prevent the world from changing us, to keep those who don't love God from changing us, to protect ourselves from self-centeredness. Let's pray together. Our loving, gracious Heavenly Father, help us to keep coming back to you and focus on you. Spare us from ever turning our backs on you. Help us to search our hearts that we may seek you and live. Draw us that we may draw near to you and find you. Find a full life forever, in Jesus' name, amen.